those in Christian Coffee Time. It's nice of you to join us again. And uh, we're in Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be starting at verse 26. We left off at 25 last week. Uh, let's have a quick word of prayer and we'll get going. Father in heaven, we just pray in Jesus' name and thank you now, Lord, for this opportunity for us to look into the word of God, into your word, Lord. And we just pray and help us to understand these things and that these things affect us, Lord. And we thank you now and thank you for all things in Jesus' name. Amen. So make sure you have some writing material with you to write down um, references to other uh, uh, portions of the Bible and such. Now you know the book of Hebrews is uh, about some that had gone on for a bit and then they had uh, were in a, a dangerous place and the Spirit of God had this uh, letter or book, whichever you want to call it, written to help them understand that there's nothing for them to go back to for they were going to go back because of persecutions and difficulties and we'll get to that in this chapter. It tells about some of the things they uh, underwent, uh, went through and such and the discouragements and such. But one of the big things we see is that, <clears throat> excuse me, the word enlightenment and illumination, which is the same, um, is used often. And to show that that is not salvation. Uh, are you saved by knowledge? Grace. No. Yeah, you're saved by, 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 uh, by God's grace, of course, it is. But by knowledge, no. And that's just the head, okay? It's by the heart we often tell people, okay? There's a difference here. Now what was taking place was the Spirit of God had showed them, that it says that they had tasted of the good Word of God and of the Holy Spirit and so on and so forth. We don't know the time period or anything like that. And they were warned back in chapter 3, he says, uh, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. See, the danger was that when a person is enlightened, the Spirit of God opens their understanding Okay, you're right at the door, but there's no belief yet. Okay, it's not in the heart, and people can turn away and walk away from that. It destroys other, some other beliefs and such that think that God just chooses some and so on and so forth. Um, they were in that dangerous place. Um, the Spirit of God had brought them to that place, and they said, no, it's not for me. We also have in Numbers, I think it's chapter 11, around that area where we have the account in the Old Testament of the provocation in the wilderness it's called the children of Israel come up out of Egypt and had come to the border of the promised land and the Lord told them to take uh, one person from each of the 12 tribes and send these ones in as spies check out the land and they were in there for several several months I believe it was and they looked at the land and they, they and they brought back some of the fruit of the land and the people saw this and it's amazing the stuff they brought back and it was a wonderful, wonderful thing. And then they heard that there were giants in the land. And they said, well, we can't stand against that. And they, they, didn't, uh, they didn't want to go in. And what they said was, we need to find someone to take us back to Egypt then. Basically, in a nutshell, you have it. And the Lord was very upset with them. And he says, you will not enter my rest. You will not enter into the land because of your unbelief. And God tells us that that is a picture of this very thing that we're talking about in Hebrews. They come right up to the door, right up to the door of the promised land into the rest of God and taste of it and partake of it and you know full well and then turn around and say, no, I don't want it. It's too difficult or whatever reason for people to turn back and turn away and they go back. And that's what the book of Hebrews is about. Now, <clears throat> it's amazing the amount of... Uh, um, arguments he brings up about uh, trying to convince them 
that Jesus Christ is better than the priests of the Old Testament, better than the law, better than angels, better than the sacrifices, and so on and so forth. In other words, there's nothing to go back to. Christ is salvation, amen? This is what he's showing them and pleading with them, the Spirit of God pleading with them through this letter. Okay, so we're going to have a look at this beginning at verse 26. Back in uh, last week, we looked at the four things that um, we had that uh, for um, believers, for uh, uh, those that uh, he's, he's trying to draw them, entice them, bring them in. In verse 21, talk about the high priest over the, over the house of God, that's Jesus Christ. So he says, let us draw near with a true heart. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith. Let us consider one another. And let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together because we gather together to exhort one another, etc., etc. There's four things there. Now what he's going to do, he showed us those four things, those four tremendous, tremendous things. I don't think you could call them obligations. It's not an obligation. It almost sounds like something you don't want to do. But wonderful, wonderful things for us. We have a high priest, and we should draw near to the Lord. And we should hold fast our profession of faith. And we should consider one another. And we should not forsake the assembling ourselves together. So we get down to verse 26 and it says, For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. So let's just look at a couple of things in this verse. When I read that at first, it seems to be that he's pointing backwards to this other. And he is in a sense. We'll get to that in a minute. We want to talk about this uh, sinning willfully just for a minute. What is that? What does it mean uh, to sin willfully? Um, he's likely, I say likely, and that's not the right word, but I, we can look at something else in the Bible that refers to this or explains this. Um, you're writing things down. You want to write down Numbers chapter 15, verse 30, and I'll just read that to you here really quickly. In Numbers 15, 30, we read, But the soul that doth ought, I got my glasses, but the soul that doth ought presumptuously, whether he be born in the land or a stranger, the same reproacheth the Lord, and that soul shall be cut off from among his people. That word presumptuously there means with a high hand. And that's what we wanted to look at with a high hand because over in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 27, that's what I say. If you write, get a pencil there, you write things down so you can check it out later. Uh, Deuteronomy 32, 27 says, Were it not that I feared the wrath of the enemy, lest their adversaries should behave themselves strangely, or lest they should say, Our hand is high, and the Lord hath not done this. Okay? So those two verses right there uh, explain to us about the sinning with a high hand, as it shows in the Old Testament. Um, with a high hand, uh, they were saying that the Lord hadn't done this. We had done this ourselves. It's exalting oneself. It's uh, um, rejecting, it's ignoring, it's despising God and God's work and exalting self. To sin with a high hand, that is. Okay? It's that we would know better than God. And that's exactly what's taking place here in Hebrews. This willful sin is just the same as the Old Testament, sinning with a high hand. This means to exalt yourself above God. You know better. You don't need God. You're just going to do your thing and, and so on and so forth. Uh, it's a bad, bad place to be in. Okay? Um, there's a couple other things that I wanted to mention here. All right. 
Um, that business about the sinning with a high hand, um, it says that there is no sacrifice for that one that does that. Okay? The same as in the book of Hebrews here. For these ones that would come up and have the knowledge, uh, have tasted, and they reject, go back, it says, there's no more chance, there's no more offering for sin. Okay? To reject Jesus Christ. And I was thinking about this. I like very simple illustrations in my little brain. And I was thinking again about, uh, say you went to, to buy a car. Guys, I got a special deal for you today. I'm going to give you this car for free. Take it for a test drive. Take it for a couple of days. Check it out. You drive it and everything you have, and you bring it back. Say, you know what? I just it's just not for me. No thanks. See ya. Bye. Come back the next day. I think I'll take you up on that deal. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was yesterday. That deal's done. No more offering there. It's it's not for you now. Something like that. That helps me in my mind understand this. I remember seeing a guy one time, we were at a big conference thing down the country. And we were having lunch and the guy across the table, I told you the story before, the guy across the table said he was raised in a Baptist home and he sang in the choir and all this, went to church all the time. And he says, all that preaching and stuff now, and he left and walked away. He says, all that stuff doesn't bother me at all. It runs off my back like water off a duck. I says, you know what? You may have committed the unpardonable sin in doing despite to God. You may have understood the things of God and such, and he turned away and turned his back. Maybe it's not right for me to say that, because I really don't know. I can't see into the man's heart and such. But it's a dangerous thing. As it says later, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. To sin willfully. <clears throat> There's no sacrifice for that sin. When we think about Jesus paid for all the sins in all the world, now think about this. Should we say that there's a sin that Jesus didn't pay for? Uh, the one rejecting him? But you could say, well, he will accept that one. Anybody can be saved. But uh, we must accept Christ for what he did. But when a person rejects Jesus Christ after receiving the knowledge, after being illuminated, after tasting, just like when Jesus was on the cross, it says he tasted death for every man. Right. He just tasted it. He didn't stay there. And these ones had tasted and seen and went away. You must accept him. To reject him is to reject the sacrifice for your sins. It was Willie Mullen, one of my favorite preachers, the Irish preacher. He said there's only one sin one sin that puts you in hell. There's only one. And that's rejection of Jesus Christ. That's unbelief. Unbelief. Serious, serious stuff we have here, folks. Serious stuff. Um, when we go on from there, we see uh, verse 26, they're sinning willfully, okay? after that we have received the knowledge of the truth. Let's just talk about that just for a moment. Receiving the knowledge of the truth. We know that knowledge doesn't save you. Illumination doesn't save you. Enlightenment doesn't save you. What does? Belief in Christ. Trust in Christ. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Receive Him as Savior. And you will be saved. Okay? 
but the knowledge obtained by illumination and enlightenment. I remember asking one time in Bible school, talking to Mr. Dowie after class one time, about this subject. And I said, is there any way you could know, or what do you think, what were your opinions on this? How long could a person go in that state of, en of enlightenment? These people do go on for a time, as these ones were going on for a time, and then they, were, they wanted to give up. They hadn't give up, given up yet, because we have this written to them to encourage them to go ahead. Maybe none of them did. Maybe some of them did. I said, how long would, is there a time limit on this? It doesn't really say that. Could it be a day or a week or a year? Five years? Ten years? Thirty years? I don't really want to go there myself. I'm thinking about that. You mean to tell me that the people could be in that state? Could that apply to today? Could people be uh, sitting in that state of understanding that Christ is the Savior and so on and so forth, but it's just head knowledge for them yet? There's a time when they come to that place where they see with their heart they believe that Christ died for them and he rose from the dead for them. Okay? Just a thought. But anyways, let's look at receiving the knowledge of the truth. Um, to receive, um, that word received right there, I looked it up, um, there's 53 words for uh, receive. 53 different words. It could be, the Spirit of God chose this one out. Right. It just simply means to take. It's said in kind of a temporary sense. It means to receive something. <laughs> it means to receive as merely a self-prompted action without necessarily signifying a favorable reception. It's just a very, very light kind of receiving. So he warns them, and he warns everybody, and even today, the writer back then in those times had no idea that how much influence this would have on anybody way back. We, here we are today, almost 2,000 years later, just looking at this, and all around the world, people reading the Bible, these powerful, powerful things. Remember he told us back in chapter 6, at the beginning of chapter 6, let us go on from the foundation stuff, from baptisms and the laying on of hands and the doctrine of Christ. He says, and this we will do if God uh, permits. He says, we need to, what we need to do is not to go back to the basic stuff. Let's get on to some of the deeper stuff. Let's get on to the meat of the word. Let's get on to the heavy-duty stuff. Let's get on to these things. And here we are in the midst of that. And the Spirit of God trying to convince people that Jesus Christ is the way, that you must never, never, never turn away from Him. You must never reject course, we know that uh, somebody who is saved cannot lose their salvation. That's an impossibility. Mm -hmm. It's just not possible. Okay? It goes against what God has said. But these ones are not saved, remember. Okay? Let's just read down through and see what's going on here. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful looking for judgment now you remember back earlier there was those four things he talked about. These were just these are blessings for us to draw near with a true heart, to hold fast our profession, to consider one another, to be able to assemble with God's people. These are blessings. We're looking at the other side of the coin right here, and he flips over the coin, and we're looking at the other side, the negative. Verse 27, a, a certain fearful 
looking for of judgment and, fi and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. It says, he that despised Moses' law, back in the Old Testament, died without mercy under two or three witnesses. You, you, uh, in the Old Testament, if you went against Moses' law, you would be stoned to death. Okay? And look what he says in verse, verse 29. With that in mind, of how much sore punishment, a worse punishment, how much of a worse punishment we would have here. Suppose ye that he thought, shall he be thought worthy who has, and there's three things mentioned. Now listen, look at the three things. The three things. Rejecting Christ after receiving the knowledge and you understand in your mind, receiving that, and you seize the Savior, you've been through that test drive, as it were, and you're about to say, ah, it's not for me. Well, look at what it is. He says, this is what you do. is trodden underfoot the Son of God. Trodden underfoot. Jesus under your feet. You're just trampling on it. Doesn't that give you, doesn't that make you kind of shiver? Anybody here feel like that? i just kind of scared to even mm -hmm. think of it, you know? It's just, there's people out there that uh, they would uh, speak of the name of Jesus like that and just don't care about anything about him. Trodden underfoot the Son of God. Now look at the second one. And hath counted the blood of the covenant. Now is the blood of Christ an important thing? Amen. Without it, we don't have salvation. Amen? Amen. Acts chapter 20, it's the blood of God that washes away our sins. <clears throat> These ones that go away had counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified, set apart, counting the blood of Christ as an unholy thing, trampling on Jesus under your feet. Considering the blood of Christ to be an unholy thing and doing despite means to insult the spirit of grace. This is serious stuff, isn't it? God's not to be trifled with. He gives people all kinds of room and all kinds of time to get saved and come on. Look at how he's, he's pleading with these ones. He's bringing these arguments out and showing them that they don't have an argument. They want to go back. Yeah, but you get nothing to go back to. We're looking at all eternity right here. What are you going to do? Where are you going to go? He that despised Moses' law and died without mercy under two or three witnesses, of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. Now I want to point out to you that word sanctified right there. We have sanctification in the believer's life, a sanctification whereby we're set apart for God's use. We have a daily sanctification. This sanctification here... And if you're writing things down, you go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, and it explains something here. And uh, what's being explained here is what we're talking about. And it says this, God has from the beginning chosen you unto salvation through, and he mentions two things. Okay? First of all is sanctification of the Spirit. That's what he's talking about here in Hebrews. They were set apart by the Spirit of God and given the knowledge of Christ. They've seen it. They've been illuminated. They've been enlightened. But they're in danger of going away. Sanctification of the Spirit. And the second thing in Thessalonians there is belief of the truth. First comes the sanctification of the Spirit. You're not saved by your own doing. The Spirit of God comes and opens your mind and helps you to understand and see it. 
you remember that time when, when, when your mind was enlightened to the things of Christ? I remember it clear, and I told you many days, it was clear, as clear, as clear, sitting at that table. And I'm putting Lorraine off. She kept saying, you want to pray now? I said, no, 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 not yet. And I want to be in control. And then the Lord just opened. It was just like a veil lifted. It was just like this. It was like, oh, I get it. Or I thought I was sitting on the fence. I'm okay. On this side, you got all these religious nuts that go to church all the time. And over here, you got real bad people, you know. But I'm okay. I'm just sitting on this ear fence. I'm fine. And he showed me. He says, you're on the wrong side of the fence, boy. Mm. And it was just like it was a veil was lifted. Oh, that was the Spirit of God showing me. I was illuminated. I understood. I saw it. And it was, oh, Lord, forgive me. Oh, Lord, save my soul, Jesus. You know what he did? Save. Save my soul, yeah. Isn't that something, eh? Mm -hmm. But in 2 Thessalonians, he talks about that. The sanctification of the Spirit, illumination, and belief of the truth. For by grace are you saved through faith. We know that. Um, where are we at here? Okay, we're down to verse 30. For we know him that has said, Vengeance belongeth to me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And if you were writing things down, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 35. Uh, that's Deuteronomy 32:35. talks about that, about the vengeance of God. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. Now, um, this would probably be a reference to the Jewish people because he's talking to the Hebrews. Um, is God going to judge us, the believers? Judgment was on Christ at the cross. There's no condemnation for our sins. He deals with, with, with us on a daily basis. But Jesus paid for our sins. Yes, there will be an accounting of uh, and re rewards for what we've done in our lives as, as believers, but we will not be judged in that sense. Okay? It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. There's strong language if you take these things one thing at a time and just spend some time on these things. It's a fearful thing when we look at this. A fearful thing. People today acting so flippantly about God and using the name of Christ as a cuss word and so on and so forth. And some going ahead, it's not a no big deal, we're just that, it's not for me. Look at the implications here. Look at the, the heaviness of this, the deepness of this. All of eternity in the wrong place because you, in your pride, you wanted to be in control and you wanted to go ahead. You wouldn't humble yourself and fall down before Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God manifest in the flesh, you paid the Complete price for your sins and all of your sins for all eternity on the cross of Calvary died, rose again from the from the dead. Amen. And you would be saved. You just simply trust in him. Mm. But call to remembrance the former days. Now what he does is he goes in here to this bit and he wants them to think back to all the problems they were having. Now we get to look into the life of these people who are in danger of going back. That was uh, chapter 3, verse 12. And he warns them, okay? of having an unbelieving heart and departing from the living God, in which after ye were illuminated, he uses that again, illuminated. He doesn't say they were saved, they were illuminated, okay? Because this is what it's about. People don't understand this teaching today much. You don't hear much about it. You say, oh, just say this prayer and you get, well, maybe you will. I'd said a prayer. Yes, Lord, save me. I forget how it was put. But the Spirit of God must be there and opening the understanding. And after which you were illuminated. And these people, look what it says, they, what, they, what they went through. They endured a great fight of afflictions. 
great fight of afflictions. Partly while you were made a gazing stock. A gazing stock. They were, they were ones that were set apart and people made fun of them and such. You know, back in old England and such, in the, in the days you did something wrong, they put you in the stocks. You know, you get your head sticking out and your hands sticking out or something like this and it's all locked up. And you're there for, I don't know, a long time. People throw things at you, make fun of you, and all kinds of things. Probably very painful too. Mm. A gazing stock. It just means that you were, you were set apart. And everybody, anybody ever been made fun of for becoming a Christian? People don't understand. Your, your relatives don't understand. They make fun. Partly while you remain a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions. This sounds a lot deeper than anything we've experienced. And partly while you became companions of them that were so used. They sat right in there with the believers and they took those things the same. They were of the same company like that. They experienced it with them. They tasted what it is like to become a, a Christian in a hostile environment, which is the world. The world does not love you and will not love you. It hates you, and the devil hates you and hates Christ. That's where the Lord says, get away from the world, never mind it. Verse 34, for he had compassion of me in, the, in my bonds. Now, some say that was the Apostle Paul writing this, but if it was the Apostle Paul, he says earlier that he would sign his name with every letter in Hebrew. So I don't see that here. But anyways, that's a whole, that's a rabbit trail we're not going down right now. So the one that penned this had been in prison at some point for their faith, and these ones even went to him and comforted him in the prison, as we're told to do. Had compassion of me in my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. They gave up their possessions and stuff, either to this one that was in prison or to others. You see the extent that these people uh, uh, went to, to taste the things of the Christian life. Knowing in yourselves that you haven't had a better and enduring substance. Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. Don't give up. Don't go back. Don't stop. No matter what happens, you lose your goods. You've got no name in, the, in society or whatever. So be it. This life might be like that. We work hard trying to make it the other way, don't we? Trying to be accepted and stuff. You won't be accepted by the world. They're not going to accept us. They don't want us. Look at the things today that have taken place. The things today, it's working up. It's the gospel is the bottom line of things that are happening today because we're seeing it. They're putting limitations on people that have, uh, um, um, well, Christian things and stuff. Let's get back onto this. Um, verse 36, for you have need of patience that after you've done the will of God in this life, you might receive the promise in the next life. <laughs> For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now, back then, when this was penned in the 60s, it was almost 2,000 years ago, they were talking about the return of Christ. Peter talks about it. The Apostle Paul talks about it. London talked about it. They expected it. We read in 2 Peter, I think it's chapter 3, you read about the long-suffering of God. God says, you know what? I'm just going to wait a while. I'm going to wait a while. I'm going to wait a while. Why? He says, because he's not willing that any should perish. That's our God. He puts it yeah. off. And maybe he'll put it off today, too. Maybe. They'll put it off. Because that's what God's like. He's trying to encourage these ones. Come on, 
to Christ, come to Christ. Never mind going back. You need to come forward. There's a problem there. You haven't believed in your heart for a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. And three times in the Bible we find this sick, this statement. I think it's three, three or four. Now the just shall live by faith. Now this is setting up the next chapter, because the next chapter is what we call the faith chapter. Now the just shall live by faith. See, they were having all kinds of problems in their daily lives, all the things that you see and experience and have in your, in your life and such, and it was beginning to affect them. And that's what happens today even, when people have difficulties, they have problems with people, problems with money, problems with health, and on and on it goes, and we start to feel kind of bad and sorry for ourselves. When the Lord says, you need to look up, look to me, he says. And the basic and simple lesson it is. But sometimes we're just dumb and we don't do that. And we look at all our problems and, oh, well, make it won't for me. Oh, you know, there it is. And next thing you know, when somebody looks sideways at somebody or doesn't say the right thing or whatever, they get all mad about it or whatever, and they go away. And you never see them again. It says, but the just shall live by faith. That's faith in Christ, faith in God. Do you bring the Lord into everything in your life? Do you bring everything to Him? Every little thing. You say, well, we stop and we pray and we give thanks for our food. That's right, and that's good. Everything we do, everything, bring the Lord. <coughs> Lord, what should I do with this? What should I say? Where should I go? But the just shall live by faith. Faith in Christ. See, faith by itself, people say, well, I have faith. Well, you've got to put the, finish the sentence. Some have faith in their denomination. Some have faith in their church. And one guy said he got faith in his in his wallet. He's got a lot of money. That's a bad place to be. Faith has an object. Jesus Christ is the only true faith in Him. I mean, the just shall live by faith in Christ. But if any man draw back, that's that willful sinning, draw back. He talks about illumination. From that point, draw back and gives up. He says, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. We are not of them who draw back into perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. He says, you need to come on. You need to go on ahead with Christ. And maybe some that are listening to my voice here today have, are maybe in that spot where you've, you've seen yourself, you've seen your sins, you've seen the Savior, and you understand and you know, but you're just holding back. And God says, you need to come on. You don't know if you're going to finish this day out. How many know if you're going to finish this day alive? You don't know if we're going to finish this hour, or tomorrow, or next week, or next year. We don't know. And then we'll be somewhere in eternity. Don't be one of those who draw back. Go forward. Go with Christ. Go to Him, the Savior. Anyway, so there we have chapter 10 and some aspects of it. We just are walking through. We should call this a run through the Bible. That's basically what we're doing, running through it. Anyways, we have to stop right there. Next week we'll start on chapter 11. Please read that uh, this week and familiarize yourself with it, the faith chapter. And we'll have a look at that. Let's just pray and thank the Lord for his word. And Father, we just thank you now. We pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for the Bible. We have the word of God in our hands today. And we can look at these things, Lord, and understand these things. And Lord, as we look at these things, as sometimes, Lord, these are hard things to grasp. We know you've told us back in chapter 6 that this is some of the deeper things, Lord.
need to uh, keep going over the foundational stuff. We need to jump into the deep end. And then we need to go on with Christ. Even those that have been saved, uh, saved for a long time, maybe finding some things of the world creeping in or something, Lord, we just, they're slipping or maybe the, a slow leak or something, Lord, that we would just go on with Christ. Look to you for everything. Bring everything to you, Lord. We thank you that you care for us and you're with us and you'll never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, we just pray you help every person that's listening to this today and in the future, Lord. Draw them to yourself, each one of us, Lord. We thank you so much for the wonderful salvation we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you provided and what you've done. So, Lord, we just thank you now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we're done. Thank you, folks, and we'll see you next time. Okay, bye-bye.